0: Today's edition of The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh has been pre-recorded.
1: This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron
2: Arbaugh.
1: The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome to the program. Now, I've only done four live programs this week, but this is the final program of the week. You're listening to the Word to Stand and for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions at least for one more day. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app. And you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time: three four zero ninety five eighty five. Well, I'm praying for a great weekend, and of course, all of us are in prayer for those in harm's way in Florida. There's another hurricane right behind that. Uh, obviously, uh, this week we've—last uh, night, in fact—we've had a uh, an eight point one or eight point two magnitude earthquake uh, in Mexico on the southwest uh, coast. Um, So, obviously, these are some really difficult times. You know, you don't need to hear this, but on Sunday this past week we talked about the earth groaning, Um, groaning because it's been subjected to frustration. Now what we see and what we're hearing now is the earth groaning, waiting its redemption. I told the Church, it was not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, I told the Church that, that Earth creation is just as excited for our uh, return to Jesus, and, and the release from the frustration It's as though the Earth knows it was created for something much better. God created everything, and He looked and He said it was very good. And then sin into the world, and all of that changed, and in the meantime, the earth creation groans awaiting its renewal as well sometimes i think the earth is smarter than a lot of humans have a great weekend in church pray for the people who are in harm's way but pray for the people who are near to you when you go to church this sunday open your arms open your heart offer your body to god as a living sacrifice and asking for some divine appointments, some people who are really hurting, some people who really need to be encouraged. Don't be shy. Don't wait for people to come to you. Take that step of faith and let the Lord use you to be an answer for somebody else's pain. I promise you when you respond to the Lord's leading like that, your pain will seem a thing of only memory. Let God use you this weekend. Somebody might get saved as a result. For us here at Calvary Chapel tonight, uh, Friday night Bible study, we're in Acts chapter 3. The beggar getting healed at the the gate beautiful. We're going to do the first 12 verses tonight. It's it's a very, very fun study for me to do because it's about faith. It's about God showing off and picking sometimes the least likely objects to show off to and through. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to uh, um, also be in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to do uh, Romans 8:28, um, actually verses 24 through 28. But it's a verse that we all know by heart, and we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's basically going to be my entire study uh, this Sunday. Remember, wherever you go to church, let the Lord speak to you, but let him use you as well. It will change everything. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that came in. Uh, and on these, uh, a couple of these, I don't have any names, so they're quiet. But this one is from... Um, uh, it says, Pastor, Ann, is it too late to attend the women's luncheon tomorrow? I went to the church website, and it says to register at church. Is it possible to call somebody to register? And then she says, thank you. It's not too late to attend. It, it, if you can call, uh, I'll give you um, net. She's handling the... Uh, registrations, you can call 658-8337. Uh, I think she's going to be here for a little bit longer. Uh, and uh, you are more than welcome to uh, to register for the ladies' luncheon. It begins at 10.30 tomorrow, from 10.30 till about 2.30. Uh, dress is whatever you feel comfortable dressing in, whether it's dressing up or dressing down or somewhere in between. We just want you to go. We just want you to go. Paula will be sharing her testimony, and it's not too late. So call the church office. We'll be here for a little bit longer. You can also come to church tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. There will be a, a table outside that says uh, women's luncheon sign-up, and that you can do that. Uh, And uh, I'm also told that they will be accepting registrations uh, here at the event itself. So tomorrow at 1030, we want to make it easy, not difficult to cost us. Twenty dollars. If you really want to come and you don't have twenty dollars, tell them that Pastor Ron told you on the radio that you could be his guest and show up. So we would love to have you, Paula. Uh, Is uh, really been working through this testimony. She's a little nervous, as she told you on the program yesterday, but uh, she's excited about what the Lord is going to do. Uh, We don't have a whole bunch of room left, so if you are not registered, please come tonight or call and get registered. Uh, Annette, I know, will be here to take care of those registrations. So thank you very much. And Paula, I know you're listening. I will be praying for you for sure. Here is a question from... Lewis from email, Um, he says, in Genesis 1, God tells Adam, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Uh, then he says, uh, then hundreds of years later, Genesis 9, after the flood, God tells Noah and his sons, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Does this mean that between the time of Adam and Eve until after the flood, mankind was not to eat meat? Were people just vegetarians? I'm sure those who, destroy, or who disobeyed God uh, ate meat anyway, but they were not supposed to. I thought meat was part of man's diet as soon as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and sin and death entered the world. Um, Lewis, we don't have the, the, the specific detail and the timing, but, but obviously uh, it was after the fall in Genesis chapter 3 that, that man began to eat meat. By the way, it's, it was then that, that animals became carnivorous as well. Um, um, in God's perfect creation, uh, it will be a renewed creation in the millennial. A lamb will lay with a lion. Uh, the little boy will play with his hole or with his hand at the hole of an asp. So the idea is, it will be like it once was in the Garden of Eden. But at some point, uh, the animals became carnivorous uh, before the flood, long before the flood, um, and and men would then begin to eat meat or find whatever they could uh, to eat. So. Um, all we know now is that that what God intended to be perfect and self-sustaining no longer is, and man has to do um, whatever it takes to survive, and that's what we've been doing since the Flood. Imagine what it would have been like for Adam uh, and Eve. Um, the very first mention of death in the Bible is when God said, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And Adam says, we were hiding from you because we were naked, we were ashamed, and um, God made them. The next time we see them, they were covered in animal skins. That means for the very first time, death entered God's perfect creation. Can you imagine? Now, spiritual death began with the sin of Adam, but physical death... We can't even begin to imagine the horror that Adam would have experienced when he had to take an animal. Remember, God had given him dominion over the animals. It was like they were his pets. And Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, no covering of sins. Adam, because he sinned, was responsible to cover his nakedness with an animal skin, which required the death of the animal. How horrible that was. Let me take it one step further. We go into Genesis 9 after the flood. And Noah and his family comes off the ark. They have been with the animals that entire time while God was preserving them during the flood of judgment. And now suddenly they're told that they can eat this food. I wonder what that would have been like for them. Well, all we know now is that God has called all foods clean. Was a shock to Peter in Acts chapter 10. I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. Rise, kill and eat, Peter. Don't call anything unclean that I have declared to be clean. So things change, and that's what happens. So let's hope that answers your question. Uh, we don't have exactly how soon after the fall that men begin to eat meat and and animals begin to eat or consume other animals. That's just simply the the sense of creation. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Hi Pastor Ron, this is what seems to be your daily revelation question from me. It's funny because when people uh, send in a series of questions I can always tell what book they're studying uh, in their own quiet time with the Lord. Nacho's quiet time is spent in the book of Revelation of late. He says, my question today is on the 144,000. Will they be men only or will there be women too? There's a reference to women prophesying in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 that might support that point. What do you think? Not sure they're all men, and in fact, we know who they are. They're the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes who are going to be sealed by God to serve as end times um, prophets. um, similar to, to the Apostle Paul's ministry. They're going to be endowed with special supernatural power by God. They're going to be sealed by God so that they can't be harmed. And I always like in that time uh, in the Great Tribulation, um, we know they're Jews. We know they've been kept pure. Um, but can you imagine what it would be like to have, say, 144,000 Apostle Pauls roaming around on the earth that's why it's going to be the greatest revival in the history of history during that last seven year period of time on earth their ministry is going to be very effective all 144,000 of them will make it completely through the end of the great tribulation and what great positions of, of honor they will be given in the millennial reign of Christ on earth Uh, The fact that women, the Spirit is poured out on men and women in Joel's prophecy, not um, simply means that they will be um, men and women both through whom God speaks. Uh, We see this uh, sort of in its initiated form uh, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God fell upon all who believed, and they, men and women, spoke in other tongues. And that's the first... Uh, day of the church, and the first day 3,000 people got saved. So the 144,000 has nothing to do with um, Joel's prophecy. Now, one thing I do want to say. We have to remember, and I think we forget this, Joel's prophecy dealt specifically with Israel, but so do the last seven years of the Great Tribulation. It's all and only about God restoring uh, his nation, Israel, fulfilling the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, and to David, um, um, we won't be here, the church won't be here. Uh, at the same time, uh, in Joel's prophecy, the last days actually began with Jesus' ascension into heaven, uh, and, and will continue be in that time called the last days until the church is taken out of here and god again turns his attention to his people israel so nacho good question i hope that answered the question for you here is a question uh, anonymously um, god died on the cross for all sin he defeated sin and death on the cross why do i have to believe this in order for it to take effect In other words, why is Jesus' work on the cross and the power it has to save me, why does it only work if I believe it? If sin was defeated on the cross, shouldn't that be it, regardless of me accepting it? I don't get how it's like Jesus died for your sins, he defeated death. Oh, but it doesn't work unless you believe he did. Only then will you be saved. Weren't we all saved as soon as he died on the cross and conquered sin? Now, I don't know whether your question is um, uh, an honest question or you're being cynical. But I think the answer to your question is is pretty straightforward. Uh, I also have a suspicion that you know the answer to the question. Salvation is a gift. We didn't earn salvation. There's nothing we could do. It's a gift. Now, for a gift of any value, it has to be received. Um, whoever you are, I could bring a gift to your house, I could leave it. On the door, I could I could say to you, give you a call and say, Hey, I left a, de- a gift outside. All you going to do is open it. You're going to love it. But if you don't open the gift, then the gift has no value for you. Well, Jesus gave us a gift, the gift of eternal life. He invited us all to open his gift. Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, the gift of God. And it's a gift that has to be received, and the way we receive it, Anonymous, is to believe it. We have to receive by faith. Everything that God has for us has to be received by faith. And so, Jesus defeated death, Jesus defeated sin, He offers to give us His righteousness so we too can defeat sin, but it's not just something that we're given carte blanche. And there's no responsibility or accountability. I want you to think about it this way. If everybody who took this position that you seem to be taking in your question, they didn't want anything to do with God, they just want to live their own life and be able to do whatever it is they want to do, well, would it be fair to them, let me personalize this, would it be fair to you? You don't want anything to do with God? Would it be fair to take you to heaven? And force you to be around God all the time for eternity. You see, he gives us a choice. And it's in exercising our free will to make that choice that the reality of sin and death being defeated becomes ours. We possess it by faith. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you are saved. You see, that's what you have to struggle with. It's not your line of reasoning. It's what God said, there's a condition to this gift, and that condition is simply to believe. Jesus said, as you know, I'm sure, the road to destruction is wide, it's broad and well-traveled, many are on it. But the road to salvation is narrow, and few find it. Why is it that we don't find it? It's because we want to sin, and we just expect that Jesus owes us a better life in eternity now there's a couple of things that I find encouraging here about this question even though my suspicion is that it's a little cynical heaven is a reality for you you know there's something more to this life than just these flesh and blood bodies in the time that we live here so here's what I'm asking you to do read the gospel of John it won't take you too long you read it all at once, but read it. Challenge God to show himself to you. And then he's going to ask you to believe. And if after that you still choose to reject Jesus, well, then you'll know, honestly, you'll know that if you spend eternity in hell, it's not God's fault. It's yours. So... Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. He defeated sin and death, but we have to believe the promises. Those promises have to be appropriated by faith. By the way, through, uh, let me give you the numbers once more, and then I'll finish that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll free eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. You know, tonight's uh, miracle in Acts chapter 3 is the beggar at the gate beautiful. That's going to say that he looked at Peter and John asking them for money. And then it says as he expected to get something from them. Now, he didn't expect what he got. He could have imagined that. But not only is salvation a gift that has to be received by faith, everything that God gives us and asks us to do has to be received by faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we want to be pleasing to Him. How are we pleasing? By faith. We walk by sight. And that's displeasing to God. We walk by faith. And that pleases the Lord. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever monsters there are going on in your lives, I challenge you to believe, look at the facts. I challenge you to believe and watch what God will do. For those of you who are believers, certainly the largest part of this audience, I challenge you very simply to use the gifts that God has given you by faith, receive everything He has for you by faith, and watch and see how your life will change. Thanks for the questions, I appreciate those. Um, Here is a question from Pamela. She says, when do you think kids should start dating? Is 14 to 15 too young? Now I have older children. My kids are 44 and 42. Uh, It's okay if they date. Um, When they were 14 and 15? because I was an unsaved heathen. I said it was okay if they dated too, but it's way too young. The one thing you don't want to do to these 14- and 15-year-old hormonal explosion teenagers is put them in places where they're going to give in to those temptations, to those hormones. It's not too young. I don't know if I can make the distinction here um, adequately. It's not too young. For kids, obviously, to be interested in one another, it's not too young for them to develop relationships based on friendship. But 14 and 15-year-olds are not ready for emotional entanglement. And it's a parent's responsibility to protect them from that. The Song of Solomon says, do not awaken desire until it's time, and kids aren't ready at that time. So, yes, Pamela, I think uh, 14 and 15 is way too young. Um, I think when kids do start dating, and again, I am not the parent of one of these kids, so these are issues that are between you and God, but I can tell you this, if you decide to allow your children to start dating, it's your responsibility to ensure that they do it in a God-honoring way. It's your responsibility not to give them too much space, not to give them uh, alone time, to, to monitor what they're saying and doing. Uh, on on their phones. I know I've said a hundred times, they shouldn't have phones, but they do, that's the reality. It's your responsibility to make sure that they're not sending naked pictures of themselves. It's your responsibility to monitor whether or not the conversation is too mature. God will give you wisdom, but you never escape the responsibility of your personal um, accountability to God for the things that you allow your children to do. Remember and Pamela, this isn't the gist of your question, I'm sure, but we need to remember, we who are parents, that we're not to be our kids' friends, we're to be their parents. And parents have to say no, sometimes. So say no, do it unapologetically. Don't argue with your kids. It doesn't matter if every other kid in the world gets to do it. You're my son or you're my daughter, and this is too young in this house. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, uh, Dating. Uh, I I used to tell people, you know, when you're 30, when you're 40, the truth is when they're adults they're on their own and they make their own choices, but we're responsible to give them the platform, the, the foundation. From which to deal with the temptations that come with dating. Um, one more thing I'm going to say, and then I'll, I'll go on to something else. We're coming pretty close to the end of the program. We've created a culture, especially with social media, where where especially girls, for some reason, are shamed if they're not involved in a relationship. Honestly, I've seen ten-year-old girls feeling rejected because they don't have a boyfriend yet. Shame on us for allowing that. Please limit your children's exposure to social media. I'm telling you, we've given these kids ticking time bombs with these telephones. Moms and dads, you have to be diligent. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We're inside one minute, so I don't have time for another question now. Let me remind you that... Tomorrow is uh, the ladies' um, luncheon, 10.30 to 12 to 2.30. Uh, Paula will be sharing her testimony. We'd love to have you. You'll be served a great meal to chefs. David and Kenyatta Jones will be doing the cooking. And last year, everybody loved it. You'll love it. There'll be plenty of dessert to eat. And believe me, the Lord will visit. Hey, you've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. 30 minutes into the program. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. We will be back in two minutes.
0: Today's edition of The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh has been pre recorded.
1: Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of the Monday adi- or the Friday edition. See, this has been goofed up since the Monday holiday, the Friday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. Hey, we just got a call. Um, is, when a call. is there going to be child care available at the ladies' luncheon? The answer is no. Uh, every inch of this space is going to be used. Uh, tomorrow, uh, including the rooms where uh, we normally have child care and or children's church. So uh, no child care tomorrow. Here's my suggestion for child child care tomorrow. Let your husbands do it. If you're a single mom, uh, find a friend, uh, a parent. Uh, somebody that you know and love and trust, um, you don't want to miss this. So uh, tomorrow, no child care. Uh, again, 1030 to 230, you will be blessed. Here's a question from our email inbox from Scott. Um, he said, Pastor Ron, I really had a problem with the logic of, of uh, this Osteen statement of why he delayed opening his church uh, for the people in need after Harvey. Now, before I go on thrust the question, um, I need to indicate clearly i haven't heard uh his statement haven't read anything i'm going to read what scott uh said uh, and I, I scott sends in questions fairly regularly i have no doubt to, no uh, reason to doubt that this is an accurate reflection but i simply don't know uh, people say why don't you know it's because i really don't care what joel steen has to say here's the statement had we opened the building sooner and someone got injured, or perhaps the building flooded and someone lost their lives, that would have been a very different story. Now, I don't mind taking the heat for being precautious, but I don't want to take the heat for being foolish. This is not just an attack on me. It's an attack on what we stand for, for faith, for hope, for love. Jesus even said, when the world hates you, remember it hated me first. And then Scott says, goes back, that biblical stand, could he have turned to, or what biblical stand could he have turned to to come up with the excuse that not opening up his church as an attack on Jesus uh, these are those situations when so-called church leaders really misrepresent Jesus and his church Uh, Scott, one of the things that we have to understand uh, is that Joel Osteen doesn't care what the Bible says Uh, Joel Osteen is serving only himself, Joel Osteen is, uh, I personally believe that Joel Osteen is a Christian, he's going to have much to answer for when he gets to heaven um i think he's probably if you were talking to him one-on-one one -one, one of the nicest people in the world the kind of guy that would make you just feel good to be around however as a pastor he is accountable to god to declare the truth he has no relationship with the truth and so it doesn't matter how he twists the scriptures what he did and the, the light that he was put in by not helping the people in need during the hurricane was a horrendous decision. One, I know that he and his PR people regret deeply, and now they're just trying to dig themselves out of the PR mess that was made. Uh, the one thing that really, really disturbs me about, about what you represented as a statement, Scott, is that he said, um, uh, Jesus said, remember, the world hates you. Um, remember, it hated me first. And to make that um, distinction uh, as though he is some persecuted um, victim uh, is is deeply deeply offensive so uh, he he just didn't care uh, he doesn't care what the bible says he doesn't care uh, deeply about the souls of the people that he is preaching to the people that that uh, come to his church every week and it is really really a tragic thing when tragedies happen We who are Christians ought to be first to be there for help. So uh, I can't defend Joel Osteen. I'm not even going to try to, nor can I really get into his head. I I think he was more concerned about that uh, hugely expensive building than he was about the souls of the people that were out there. So that's the best I can do, Scott. Let's go to Priscilla on line one. Priscilla, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Um, uh, Brother Ron, Uh, I really thank uh, you for, you know, being on the radio and giving us such good advice. But I have uh, a little problem. Uh, My husband is on Medicaid. He's got Alzheimer's and is in a nursing home. And uh, he uh, I had to get, uh, you know, through the advice from the Medicaid people to get a quality income trust. And so all his money, you know, like Social Security and all that goes into this fund, and I pay the nursing home and, you know, everything else. Um, what, you know, what I needed advice on was that um, they, you know, I, I called them and asked uh, them if I could type on this, uh, you know, money that goes into this trust, and they said no. And so I'm in a predicament, you know, it's always um, tight, I'm to our church, and right now I just don't know what to do.
3: Yeah, Priscilla, uh, I-, I can make this pretty easy for you, and I hope I hope this really comforts your heart. Um, you know, in in your situation, you can give God uh, the best you've got. You can you can you can be used to pray. Uh, you can be used as a source of comfort and encouragement to other people. But God doesn't need your money. He understands these things. So you're not ripping God off. Or you're not stealing from God. You're in a situation with a very limited income. That income is 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 been directed um, to to take care of your husband. Uh, which is the most God-honoring thing that you can do. And, and, you know, it's money that you paid into uh, Social Security, Um, Mm -hmm. It's not something you have to feel any obligation at all to to uh, to give back to the Lord. Give to the Lord other ways. It's not just your money. He's interested in He wants your heart. He wants your time as much as you can as much as you can provide. And and you're giving time. You're taking care of your husband. You're doing the honorable thing. So this isn't about money. And Priscilla, I don't know where you go to church. I don't want you to tell me. But if you're at one of those churches that tells you that you're stealing from God if you aren't tithing, you're in a church that isn't healthy, a church that isn't teaching the truth of Scripture, Um, we give to God simply because we want to, because we love Him, and we give with a cheerful heart. We don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, and when churches misrepresent God in this concept of tithing... um, um, people are getting hurt, and people like you, whose heart is right before the Lord, people like you are are, are then become targets for the enemy 's condemnation. They feel guilty because you 're not giving you 're doing plenty if you get money over and above what is dedicated to his uh, care um, then not tithing don 't don 't look at it like I have to give a tenth instead. Uh, give to the Lord what He puts on your heart to to give, and do it joyfully. It's it's sort of like the widow's mite. She gave the two little tiny pieces of of offering, just just pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than all of the others combined because she gave everything that she had. Right now, I suspect, Priscilla, that you're giving everything you have in the care and uh, in, in ensuring that your husband's future is going to be as comfortable as it possibly can. I'm so sorry for your husband. I'm sorry for what you're having to deal with. Alzheimer's is a cool, cool, cool thing to deal with. And Priscilla, I'm mm-hmm. going to put you on my prayer list and be praying for you, okay?
2: Well, I appreciate that so much. And uh I just thank you, you know, that that relieves me of, you know, Good. like what you said, self condemn self-condemnation, Priscilla, you know. And Yes. And I thank you.
3: <laughs> My pleasure. Priscilla, can I ask you uh what your husband's first name is only so I can be praying for you too?
2: It's Roy.
3: Roy, I will be praying for Roy and Priscilla. You can count on it. And for the rest of your life, Priscilla, Romans 8.1 is your verse. Go to bed with it. Wake up with it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you. God bless. Uh, Bye-bye. I think one of these days, if I ever come up with the last show, I'm going to spend the entire show on all these things that break my heart and break the heart of god because people are being taught wrongly in churches that really only want their money so uh, priscilla we can hear your relief thank you very very much 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here's a question from jason Pastor on Jesus promised abundant life. Why don't we see more Christians living those abundant lives? Um, Jason, let me tell you why. It's because we are spiritually lazy. We are hypocrites. Uh, in this particular part of the world, we live very comfortable lives compared to those in other parts of the world. Um, we try to do in our own strength what we can only do for God's glory in His strength and the power of His Spirit. Um, And I guess the overarching reason is we're not close enough to Jesus. We're too close to the things of this world. We grumble and complain just like others. But now, Jason, listen to this, please, closely. It doesn't matter what those other Christians do. What matters, the only thing that matters, Jason, is what you do. Is your life abundant? I know we have this propensity to look out at the lives of others and think, well, those Christians are hypocrites. Never judge the message by the behavior of those who claim to belong to Jesus. The message still has authority. The message is still rich and pure. So don't let the abuses of that message or the people who are missing out on the promises of the message, have any effect at all on you? I'm going to tell you something, Jason, that I tell my church regularly. Whenever we're looking out at the behavior of other people, that's the unholy spirit. At best, it's flesh. At worst, it's the enemy provoking our flesh. When we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, in other words, when we're with Jesus... He's only talking to us about us. So here's what you do. When you see those professing Christians not living the abundant life Jesus promised, have compassion on them and pray for them. And then ask Jesus, what about me? What about me, Lord? How does my life look to those from the outside looking in? And then repent and you enjoy the promises that God has for you. Life is truly abundant in fellowship with Jesus. I say that based on the promises of the Word, but I say it experientially as well. My life at times, Jason, is so abundant that I, I need a rest. <laughs> and I try my best never to look at those who are a poor reflection of Jesus Instead, I look at Jesus who loves those people and is begging them to live in the fullness of life that he promised. So that's the best I can do. Um, look in, don't look out. Make sure your life is abundant. Jason, thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. 9585 Here's a heartbreaking question anonymously. Uh, a friend of mine has a young boy, six years old, who says he wants to be a girl, how should I counsel the boy's parents? They are asking. Uh, you, you know, the, you make no indication whether or not the, the parents of this boy are believers or not, um, but the way you can counsel them, the only way you can counsel them is to tell them about Jesus. You can tell them about Jesus. It's that just. It, it's that simple. There's nothing more cruel that we could do to a young child, male or female, than to let them live in denial of who they are, biologically, physically, what their chromosome structure is. Because what we're doing is we're condemning them to a life of pain. A six-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl, they have no clue about what they want to be. so counsel them in love open your Bible and tell them this is what God says now here's a sort of related question a question from Devin he says why do Christians and in parentheses, he says I am one make such a big deal out of it when a man wants to be a woman or vice versa Ooh, I guess the idea of the question Devin is, is live and I live let them be what they want to be. Well, here's the problem. Whenever we let people do what seems right to them, then we're condemning them to a life of misery, a life of pain, a life of emptiness, a life of sin. And we make a big deal out of it, Devin, because we care about people. When you meet somebody who was a male and became a female, What you have to know is there's a lot of pain. They can kid themselves, they can find other people, tell them everything is okay, God, this is the way God made them, God doesn't make any mistakes, all the, the silliness that we hear. But here's what you know. In their heart, in their psyche, there's pain, so much pain, and it's only going to get worse with gender confusion. A woman, a man who identifies as a woman, let me say it that way, goes through a sex change operation and comes down with prostate cancer because they don't remove the prostate when they make that change. Is that woman a woman or a man? Women can get get prostate cancer. Men can. There's already been incidents of that very thing happening. You see, there's no value in denying who we are. The value is in embracing who God made us to be, accepting the reality, and then showing people that walking with Jesus will fulfill all the emptiness that they once believed was a result of gender confusion. Now, it's not going to be too long in this country before it's illegal to say what I just said, classified as hate speech. That's how upside down this world has become. We who are Christians, remember I say often to you that we have the answers for these people. And the answer is Jesus. It's not about how they feel. It's not even about gender identification. It's nothing more than the need for Jesus. And we've got to keep declaring that. So Anonymous and Devin, we make a big deal about it because it's important. Can you imagine, I said this a moment ago, the tragedy of this six-year-old boy being allowed by the world that we live in to live as a girl? Can you imagine the tragedy? Can you imagine the mental pain and suffering that you're condemning that young boy to for the rest of his life? These are important stands to take in love and with compassion. People need Jesus. In part from Jesus, everybody's missing out on something. So, Anonymous and Devin, that's the best I can do with that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Donna wants to know, what translation of the Bible do you recommend? Uh, Don, I don't really recommend any. You know, the the Bible that I use and have been the most comfortable with over these years is a 1984 uh, edition of the New International Version, the NIV. Uh, I do not like the new NIV translations, especially the 2011 at all, so stay away from that at all costs. But the truth is, for the most part, any translation that you're comfortable with is a good one. And I suggest actually reading from several. Uh, uh paula reads to me out of the new king james that's the bible that she has currently and um uh, i my bibles have been king james um but but what we teach and study out of is primarily the the 84 niv uh, but with computer bible programs you have access to so many different versions there are times when the living bible is perfect there's a translation called the new living translation it's very readable uh and it's it's very accurate that's a a, a, a recommend a, a, a a translation that I can recommend hardly so there's a lot of them um, for the New Testament I personally believe that the NIV the 84 NIV uh, is the best uh, thought-for- thought translation of the the Greek New Testament um, it falls way short at times uh, translating the Hebrew of the Old Testament uh, but again because we have access to so many other versions um, I actually prefer the New King James or the King James when when studying the Old Testament. So it just is a matter of what you read, Donna. The one thing that's the most important is that get one that you're comfortable with and use it. Get one that you're comfortable with and use it. That's really really important. Thank you for asking. Here's a question from Jerry. We're inside five minutes for the week. My goodness, time flies. Donna says, "What?" Oh, that's Donna. I just did. Sorry, Donna. This is Jerry. Jerry says. Is it okay for Christians to listen to secular music? Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, Jerry, I don't think Christians ought to listen to filth. Uh, A lot of the secular music out there is filth. The language is horrible. I know that because outside my back door, uh, there's a stoplight on on the the street that we live on. And when they stop, you get that boom, 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 boom. And you you hear the the filthiest language coming from some of the the hip-hop music or rap music. Uh, And I I don't think a Christian has any reason to listen to that. I don't think personally that's okay. I think it dishonors the Lord. However, secular music, different styles of music, there's nothing wrong with that. Can you imagine somebody saying you can't listen to Beethoven because it's secular music? Or you can't listen to many of your familiar favorite artists. Of course you can. Music is a gift given to this world by God. So, yeah, listen, just be careful what you're listening to and pay attention to how it affects you. But, yes, it's okay for Christians to listen to secular music, enjoy it, um, and, and don't let anybody shame you. Don't let anybody make you do guilt. So, go ahead and enjoy, Jerry. Robin says, did Jesus die for everyone or just for some? If he died for everyone, does it mean that everyone is going to heaven? Uh, Robin, it's similar to the question that I was asked uh, at the beginning anonymously uh, about him dying and defeating sin. Why isn't everybody going to be saved? Uh, The truth is Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, everyone. Um, His death was effective for all. However, his death is efficacious only for those who receive Um, the gift by faith, by believing. So, His death was sufficient for all, but only available to those who believe. So He didn't die just for a few, He died for everyone, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believed, whosoever believed, would not perish, but would have everlasting life, life. But again, it doesn't mean that because he died for everyone, everyone's going to heaven. Peter says that God's heart breaks. God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange word for God. But remember, we as humans were created in his image. And that means in spite of all of the silliness you hear from those who aren't even Christians, Being made in God's image simply means two things. It means, one, that we were made with the capacity to choose where we're going to spend eternity. Just as God chose us, we choose where we're going to spend eternity. The second thing being made in His image means is that we're all going to live forever somewhere. We're all eternal. God is eternal. We, too, when we are born in this world, we're eternal. We're going to live somewhere forever and ever. And that's all being made in His image means. So, um, he would like everyone to go to heaven, but he also knows that many, most, in fact, are going to reject him, and there's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. So, he died for everyone. Don't let anybody ever, Robin, convince you otherwise. We're inside one minute, so let me remind you, and you know what, man, I didn't say this, so let me say this, and we'll close the week with with these uh, couple quick announcements. Uh, Our men's retreat is two weeks from yesterday. We'd love to invite you. We're going to be at Camp Buckner. Uh, We keep the cost as inexpensive as we possibly can. We'd love for you to go. We'll sign up at the church. There's more information on the website at calvarysa.com. And ladies, one last time, don't forget tomorrow, the women's luncheon is from 1030 to 230. You can still register. The cost is $20. You can register in person tomorrow. Just get here kind of early. Don't be late because there will be a lot of people. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's been a great week on the program. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. And it's my privilege Pastor Ron Arbaugh, to come to you every day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church. Let somebody fall in love with Jesus. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.